Bring it in, and welcome back to the Read Option Podcast. Whole crew back together again. The divisional round is over. We're down to the final four teams left in the NFL playoffs. Uh, AFC, NFC Championship games coming up this weekend. Uh, I don't, not to sound like a downer, but like from a football perspective, probably not the four most entertaining games we've ever had, but I do think especially after Saturday when we had the final six teams, it kind of felt like, hey, these are the best six teams we have left. Uh, and, and as we've said many times on this podcast, that's typically what happens, right? The NFL is always good about getting the best teams in the championship more often than not. Uh, and we have four really, really good teams, two awesome conference championship games, and two out of the three of us have teams still remaining and those two teams will be heading uh heading against each other in Philadelphia this weekend uh the Niners Eagles at three o'clock on Sunday afternoon followed up by uh Bengals Chiefs a rematch of last year's AFC championship game as the nightcap uh boys how are we Vito you were in Philly at the game Saturday night uh, how how was the weekend? How was the experience? How are we feeling going into uh, conference championship week? Man, that was wild, bro. It was a wild weekend. Um, it was the first game in a long time that I've maybe ever been to since like college. Definitely the only playoff game that I can ever remember where like the game was a party. It was a continuation of the tailgate because there wasn't anxiety in the stadium. Mm-hmm. You know, half the game, you're like, oh shit, we got to get it together this drive, all that stuff. The only time was when they scored to go to be down by 21 only towards the end of the third quarter. And then the Eagles just immediately like put the foot on the gas again. So that was a, a really complete uh, just effort from the Eagles and, and it resulted in an absolute party in the stands like it was a continuation of tailgating everyone was having a great time everyone's dancing having fun i mean they were scoring so many touchdowns we just kept doing the e-a-g-l-e-s eagles like all that stuff the entire time it was so fun man it was so fun and then uh yeah man scotty how was uh how was watching your niners win and i know you're you're getting a little cocky against the eagles here but we'll see what happens on on saturday (laughs) That so for as uh, loose and and free as as the Eagles were flying on Saturday, it was a little more tense for uh, for us Niners fans, as you saw. But uh, you know, uh, the point of this exercise when we get to this point of the season is winning the games that are in front of you, because otherwise you go home, and that's what they did. Um, so happy to be moving on and and down to what I think are were and have been all season the. Well, most of the season, two of the best teams in the NFC. I I think, yeah, I mean, are the two best teams in the yeah, NFC? Yeah, I, I think rather. honestly, even since Jimmy G took over, right? Because they they lost a, the a few games early, San Francisco, and they've kind of been rolling ever since, man. I mean, what they lost four games in the first like eight weeks, right? They were four and four, seven, and three seven and weeks. Four. You lost to the Broncos, um, okay, and, and the Bears. And the Bears, uh, and they haven't and the Falcons. Lost. <laughs> think about that. They they haven't lost since week seven. Um, and now seven and O is Brock Purdy. Uh, and, and I think honestly too, looking at the rosters too, like 
top to bottom. I think you're looking at the four best rosters, give or take, right? Um, you might be able to make a case for, you know, the Chargers Buffalo. or, you know, maybe Buffalo. But for the most part, I think you're looking at the four best rosters, um, three really, really good quarterbacks. I, I think you could make the case the three best quarterbacks from this season. Uh, and then a rookie quarterback who is just going on an unbelievable run. Um, I, I wanted to start with this because I was doing some thinking. Um, obviously, again, Saturday night was awesome for me as an Eagles fan. Uh, Vito, I'm super jealous that you were there. Philly looked like it was an absolute madhouse, and it will be again this weekend, and, and I can't wait. Um, Soak but- it in now. All right. All right. We got plenty of time for trash talking, Scotty. Um, so then, you know, Sunday I wake up. The game's not till three o'clock. So I had some time and I was doing some reflecting on what I felt like the playoffs and, and in particular the divisional round has kind of felt like. And to me, the, the end of the wild card round, the divisional round has become the weekend of validation. Right. Top to bottom, when you look at some of the games that were played, uh, Minnesota loses to the Giants. Right. We all thought Minnesota was fraudulent. Um, but the Giants were also pretty fraudulent, right? They're a young team. They weren't super talented. They overachieved, right? And everyone going into that Eagles game, myself included, out of nerves, felt like, hey, the Giants could flat out win this game. And instead they get blown out by 31 points. Um, I, I found to me like that validation of like, hey, the Eagles clowned Minnesota week two. They clowned the Giants all three times that they played them. It all seemed to be like, all right, what we thought in the moment has actually turned out to be true. The Jags, remember in the beginning of the year, the Jags beat the shit out of the Chargers, and they and they have this really – remember that 14-0 against Philly in Philly, and they blow that lead? And all of a sudden, we're like, man, this Jags team is frisky. They start to slide a little bit, and we all go, oh, same old Jags, right? And then how did it turn out? No, this Jags team was really good. This Jags team is frisky. They're going to be good for a long time, and they're doing it with a pretty – under talented team considering some of the opponents that they've gone up against uh, the final six teams right after Saturday. So you're talking about Buffalo and uh, Dallas included in that. I think those are probably the top six teams in the NFL all year. So the, the six teams we talked about all year that we didn't think were fraudulent ended up being the last six teams remaining uh, Kansas city having weaknesses, right? Not being the world beaters of Kansas city, of, of yesteryear, but instead has been a still a really good team because of Patrick Mahomes. And ultimately, what did we see on Saturday night? The same thing. Jalen Hurts being the MVP when he's healthy. Same thing. Dak choking in big moments and ultimately showing his true colors <laughs> when he needed to. Same thing. So I felt like this weekend was, at, in a total, was like everything we thought, but we kept having doubts throughout the season, ultimately played out to be true. And that's why I think this weekend was the weekend of validation for us and for, I think, most people in sports media who have been covering it this year. But maybe uh, Philly's kind of young. Cincinnati, are they really that good? They Last year's run was fluky. No, like, I think we pretty much figured out this is who, you know, they were who we thought they were. And we just got to trust ourselves a little more in the future, I think. Yeah, don't double standard that with Brock Prady, though, because he's legit. So, uh, moving on. But I think it's, it's a little... Uh, trendy like the uh, like college football playoff was right. We had that insane weekend with the with the two playoff games, uh, and we were like, "How can you top that?" And it's like, well, validation wins out at the end of the day. Georgia's just better than everyone else. So uh, it, it it sort of seemed like that to me this weekend. Um, in the same way that you just said, Jeff, just like uh, validating the fact that we know that these are probably 
are and have been all year the top four teams uh, in in the national football or yeah top four teams in the national football league. I want to know something, Jeff. Did like okay, so when you blow out a team, even though it's the playoffs, right? It, there's still like you're not as excited as if it's close and you guys pull away, right? But it's great. Feeling is still great, right? What what had the highest high of the weekend for you? Was it like the Eagles just was it one play in particular, just how like you know, maybe got its one-handed play, some of that stuff, or was it Dak sucking? Because the thing is, is that like you, you know what I mean? You were ahead, you kind of had that yeah. feeling, all right, we're ahead, we just had to hold it, and you did, you did a great job. But Dak sucking was like, hell yeah, he's falling apart. The, it's so funny. I I had more, I probably smiled more during the Cowboys collapse and Dak yeah. throwing interceptions <laughs> because I'm I I'm an anxious like football fan. Like I even when the Eagles are up you know, 28 to nothing at halftime. And then the giants open up the third quarter and score a touchdown. My head immediately just goes to the chargers. Right. And then in hindsight, I think about it, I'm watching it. I'm like, yeah, but the giants burned off like six and a half minutes of clock on that drive. They, they needed to score fast. They couldn't afford to do that. And hindsight tells me, okay, no, I think the giants knew they were out, right? The giants threw in the towel based off of that drive. They were going to run the ball. We're going to drain clock. Um, I, I think for the, I mean, that first deep ball, the second play from scrimmage to Devontae Smith, uh, I mean, that was when I was kind of like, all right, like Jalen's on it, Devontae's on it. And then the Devontae Smith touchdown to put him up 14 nothing, uh, and the block by A.J. Brown getting out, I think that was probably the high where I'm like, they're not losing, right? The fourth and eight, and New York's going for it when they're down 7 nothing after the opening drive from the Eagles. And then they get another, they get back-to-back sacks from Hassan Reddick. And you're like, holy shit. Like this, like, there's no way they're coming back from that, but we have to go down and score a touchdown here. Um, once you got to 14, nothing, I like kind of relaxed, but I, it was more like arrogant, to be honest. It was more like, let's go, you know, the Bud Lights were flowing. Like I was, I was having a good time. Uh, but then there's always that part in the back of your brain where it's like, okay, we got a big lead fast forward to the end of the game. Like let's just get to the end of the game. So it's over. And then Kenny Gainwell, Breaking 100 yards, scoring the touchdown at the end of the game, I think was was also a highlight. Uh, I, I don't know. I just – blowouts in the playoffs, like I think most teams would rather have their team blow out. Like because like a blowout's just easy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just easy. But the satisfaction of winning a close game, like the NFC Championship game against Minnesota, same exact score, five-year anniversary to the day the Eagles put up 38-7 to against the Giants, and then – the nail biter against the Patriots. It's like, yeah, the satisfaction of that nail biter was unbelievable. Cause it's this big buildup, but when you blow a team out and you just know you're good, you're on to the next round. Like that's an unmatched feeling too. So I, I was, ha- I'd be happy either way, but I'm definitely happy. It was as easy as it was. Um, and for a bunch of different reasons that we'll, we'll get into. Uh, why don't we, do we have any other thoughts, any other uh, conversation thoughts we want to add here. I took about five pages worth of notes uh, watching these games live and then going back and rewatching them some today. We're recording about three o'clock in the afternoon on Monday. Um, so I'm ready to get after it. I, I think there's a whole lot to get into here. I'm ready to go. Let's do it. Uh, Casey Jacksonville. Um, interesting game. Uh, huge credit to Jacksonville, right? Uh, they came out to play right off the bat. They're tied. 14-7-7 going into the, the end of the first quarter. They keep it close. Um, the major storyline out of this game isn't the game itself. It's Mahomes getting injured, right? Mahomes has that scary-looking play um, that we saw the same thing happen to Tony Pollard on Sunday night. 
getting tackled from behind defensive player kind of puts his body weight kind of drops down while grabbing him around the waist. And it's a high ankle sprain. Um, Scotty had a lot of opinions after this game. So I think, I think we address that first because uh, my opinion on this is a high ankle sprain in a divisional round of the playoffs and to then play two and a half more quarters after that and lead your team on multiple big drives to win is impressive. Scotty, on the other hand, does not think that that was the main yeah, reason they won the enough. game. So, so no, go ahead and make Chad Henney was Chad Henney was. was not the main reason they won that, <laughs> that game. 98 yard drive, bro. 98 yard drive. But listen, that was a great drive. But let me tell you what. So, first of all, I'm watching it like tailgate, so I can't even hear the broadcast. I'm just seeing the plays, right? And, and there is uh. that drive was impressive to say the least. And Mahomes is standing there. Like, you know, it sounds like he was on the sideline in his jacket, basically just sound like waiting for them to confirm that he was okay to go back in. He ran on that ankle into the locker room to go get like it checked on and then ran back out, which was also wild. Like that they let him, I don't know. The whole thing is crazy, but what Tony Romo had said, I, when I went back, Jeff, like you're saying, rewatch some of this stuff. It was wild. What Tony had said, where he was saying how he's like, I had that happen. And, um, you could play the game on it, but once the swelling and all and the inflammation kicks in, he's like, he's probably not practicing Wednesday. He's probably limited the whole week. And I think Ian Rappaport said something along the same lines this morning that he's going to be limited all week. So like, I I don't know. I think it's worse the second week, but it's major. Um, it's a major setback for, for the chiefs moving forward. But in that game, he came back in and balled, man. If he doesn't play like that, like maybe, yeah, Henny still wins the game. But I'm just saying Mahomes played great, and he was still Mahomes. I mean, even the way he started that game. So I, I don't know why you're not I, – I get it, like the like everyone played well, but he's still a major reason they won that game. Yeah, and it's it's whatever they he does. Like no matter what Jacksonville did on defense, spy two linebackers – force him to roll out to the left. All these things, shell coverage, two high safeties, make him make a decision without pressure. All these things that that have worked uh, strategically against Mahomes uh, in the past, like he beat all of it. Um, so, you know, as upset as I was on Friday night, everybody anointing this guy as the hero. I mean, please give Chad Haney. Which I get it. 98-yard drive. He beat you in a Super Bowl, right? You're always going to hold a vendetta against him for the rest of his life. Yeah, and, but and, I, and I don't hate also, the player, to man. Your defense, to your defense, <laughs> I'm getting there. You respect him. You know how good he is. Yeah. But Chad Penny had tw- Chad Henney had 23 yards on that 98-yard drive yeah. that Chad Henney won the game for, including and- a massive pass interference call. And Isaiah Pacheco the super broke rough off. in the passer call, too. Oh, Pacheco, God. Pacheco broke off a 40-yard run that got them into the end zone, and then he throws a one-yard little screen pass to Travis Kelsey, who shakes a defender and walks in the end zone. Chad Henney, not taking anything away, came in a big spot, delivered in a big moment, absolutely give him credit for that. But to me, it's, look, Jacksonville came out swinging in the second half. Defensively, they were getting all after Mahomes, knowing he couldn't move, and yet it still didn't matter. Mahomes was making one the, the scramble play he had to pick up a first down on third and five when – he literally like hobbled and his hobble is what avoided the tackler because the tackler was coming after his foot and he like one hopped because he couldn't put pressure on both things. And it somehow he was able to get through lunge for the first down and then the response drive right in the fourth quarter, Jacksonville goes down, scores the touchdown, the response from him to go right back. 
the Jags, seven plays, 75 yards, three minutes, 19 second touchdown drive, makes it a three score game in the fourth quarter. Next drive, next possession on a one leg in the fourth quarter, Mahomes, 10 plays, 75 yards, four and a half minutes, milks the clock down to the point where Jacksonville, it turns it back into a two possession game with five. I think it was like five and a half minutes left. Like there for as much as you can say, whatever, I get it. Mahomes without Mahomes there. I don't know if there's anyone else in the league who can do that on one foot. There's probably somebody who could have made a similar effort, but that's just how good Mahomes is. Well, but that's what I said at the end too of the game when, as after my rant uh, in our text group, I was like, "Would you rather play like sixty percent of Mahomes or a hundred percent of Chad Henney?" Uh, because honestly, like he's going to play, right? It's the AFC Championship game. Let's yeah. be real. And you'll uh, take seventy-five percent of Mahomes every time. Yeah, a hundred percent. I would exactly. Uh, but in part of that, too, because I think the bigger part of the story uh, and the number one, I think the biggest outcome here uh, in terms of Kansas City is Travis Kelsey is unbelievable. Uh, and we said going into this game, there was not a there was not a good matchup for Jacksonville. To, there's no one on that team that could play man to man with Travis Kelsey. There just wasn't. So at that point, then you're like, all right, well, our best our best chance is to go zone which Travis Kelsey is going to absolutely pick you apart on 14 catches broke the record for catches in a playoff game by tight end 98 yards, two touchdowns was the absolute difference maker. But I think what was equally as important in this game was Kansas city's commitment to running the football 144 total yards on the ground, Isaiah Pacheco 95 yards on 12 carries. uh, And they did it a bunch of different ways, right? Um, Sky Moore got a carry. Kadarius Tony got a carry that was for 14 yards. Jarek McKinnon with 11 carries. They got creative with how they did it in addition to their short West Coast passing game, and they found a way to end up winning the game uh, even with a banged-up Mahomes. Yeah, that's the difference to me, man, because we've seen during the season how like teams on defense will commit to like, all right, we're going to cover everybody else, give Kelsey his 14, 110, and two touchdowns. I don't care. You can try to beat me with that and that alone, but if you can't run the ball against us, it's it's going to spell trouble. We saw that against the the Raiders. They did that, and what happened? They ended up using utilizing Jeremy McKinnon out of the backfield for an overtime touchdown. We saw it in all the games that they struggled. Indianapolis, uh, the first Jacksonville game. Uh, so it was, you know, I, that that to me is the is the big difference. If they can establish that early and often as they did in this game, uh, watch out on offense. Cause that that's that you can't stop them that way. Yeah. A um, few other things to touch on here too, because I think Kansas city, not only offensively, cause Mahomes did what he had to do playing on one leg. Um, but what was really impressive to me was Kansas city defensively. Uh, Kansas city made big time plays when they needed to. And Jacksonville showed some of their youth, right? Um, to me after, so, you know, Jackson goes down, scores a touchdown, makes it a three point game. Kansas City goes right back down the field, makes it a 10-point game, and now here comes Jacksonville, right? They're moving the ball down the field. They got a big punt ret- or kick return from Jamal Agnew, takes it all the way out to the Jacksonville 45. They're getting down. to get all the way down to the Kansas City one-yard line, and a smart little dump pass over to Jamal Agnew right in the goal line. Like, you want to give him the ball in his hand. He's a playmaker. Yeah. He gets stripped. He actually doesn't even get stripped. He dropped the ball himself. It was one of those weird ones where, like, his own body knocked it out of his hands. Uh, that was a massive, massive game changing moment. So you think, all right, even if Jacksonville, that happens, whatever, they then force Kansas City into a three and out, get the ball back. 
and uh, start working their way back down the field because Jamal Agnew, right after fumbling the ball, takes the punt and almost breaks it for a touchdown, if not for Harrison Bucker throwing his body at him, tripping him up on his way in. And the touch, look, the interception that Trevor Lawrence threw, and I wrote this, this is one of the things I wrote down in my notes. I have a hard time really blaming him for that. It was a really, really tough play. He had a free blitzer coming at him untouched, and he had a hot read, right? And the hot read was hit this scene or hit this little fade route down the line, which was wide open. There was no safety help over mm-hmm. the top because of the safety blitz. So if he just gets a little bit more on it and he's not quite as flat footed, maybe gets it out a hair of a second earlier, that's a touchdown, right? And then all of a sudden, this game could have completely changed. Instead, the rookie cornerback for Kansas City makes an unbelievable one-handed interception to seal the victory, uh, and that basically did it at that point, except for when, uh, yeah, Jacksonville forced another punt and then fucked up the spread for anybody who was on Kansas City. Uh, that was a really, really <laughs> disgusting backdoor cover. But, hey, you know what? Beautiful, Jacksonville- beautiful backdoor cover. That's know. Jacksonville for you. That was the that was the only that was the difference for me being a perfect four and zero against the spread this week was that disgusting <laughs> backdoor cover. Um, but ultimately, again, going back to what I said at the top, the weekend of of validation, we thought Jacksonville was a good frisky team that was young. That's exactly how they played: frisky, aggressive. They got a lot of pressure. They were blitzing Mahomes a lot. They just made one or two little mistakes down the end. Uh, And Kansas City, not the best Kansas City version we've seen. I think if Mahomes doesn't get hurt, I I think this is probably a pretty big blowout. I mean, he he looked ridiculous. Um, We talked about flipping that switch last week. He definitely flipped the switch going into this game, but banged up. Okay, Kansas City does what they do in the playoffs. They find ways to win five consecutive AFC championship games for Patrick Mahomes, which is just absurd. Yeah, and there's two things for me to as well to wrap up this one one is for jacksonville like that's a game where um where reps matter in the postseason right with a little more experience like look at um look at how how well the Bengals are playing down the stretch because they're doing it again because they've been in this spot before so a little more reps in the postseason for for those young guys i think they'll be in in good shape um and then two it's like i'd like to go back uh over the course of the year and do some analysis on what happens when uh, they don't commit to uh, giving Travis Etienne the ball because it was there, like he was running well, and he finishes with ten and sixty-two. Um, some of the some of the best spots on offense when they were moving the ball was when was when Etienne was getting some chunk plays and opening stuff up. So I'd be curious to see over the course of the year, like how how they played in games or how even close they were going down the uh, down the stretch, especially on the win streak whether or not they they committed to the run because it was there for him. And if they just, you know, I, I get it. You're in a spot where you're down two, three scores and you you need to get back in the ball game. You're not going to commit to running the ball oftentimes, but like he's a huge player in this game and you can use utilize him as more than just uh, a runner. Um, and so, so to me that, that was a, a big difference in the game too. Cause once we, he, they kept feeding him early. He ended up scoring that touchdown. Um, and, and then all of a sudden it was just, Nothing, no run game, nothing. We got to sling it all day long, which is fine when you have a guy like Trevor Lawrence. But again, the inexperience, the youth, um, uh, something something that will uh, we'll look to change down the line because I think this is not going to be the last time they're in this spot. 
I agree. I, I think they should have committed to the run a little bit more. I mean, they finished with 144 yards on 19 carries, right? They ran the ball pretty effectively. And Trevor Lawrence actually took the ball and decided, hey, like there was a couple of big first down plays, which is something I had a couple of Jacksonville thoughts here. Like, first off, like Trevor Lawrence, for whatever doubt anybody had at this point, Trevor Lawrence is a baller, dude. Like that dude, he went shoulder to shoulder with a with a linebacker. I think it was Nick Bolton for uh, Kansas City and was not afraid and ran him over and picked up a huge third uh, first down on like third and nine. Uh, yeah. That would that was a massive play, uh, and yeah, I think look, Doug got a little pass happy, but at the same time, a lot of their play design stuff they were schemed up really well, and this is something we talked about in the Chargers game with Jacksonville, which was that they have some really good athletes who can make plays in the open field, right, in these one on one breaking tackle type of plays. Because a lot of times the NFL, like the guy who's designed to get the ball, he'll have his own assignment, right, like. Everyone gets matched up. Like you have to block this guy. You have to block this guy right pre-snap on a play design. And there's a lot of plays where it's like, hey, your responsibility as the pass catcher, as the primary target here is to break the tackles here and and beat your guy one-on-one. And one of the things we said going into this game was that Kansas City ranked in the low 20s in the league in tackling uh, as a defense. They tackled extraordinarily well. Right. They, they had guys flying around the field, meeting them right as they were catching the ball, open field tackles. Uh, I thought that was the most impressive thing from Kansas City's defense, which has been something they struggled with for most of the year. Yeah, for me, the only other thing, too, is just uh, it seemed like Jacksonville's here to stay. Like you're saying, like the, as a team, um, they were over 50 percent on third downs on offense. They, you know, yeah, they had a couple turnovers, but they played pretty well, even in the trenches. And I thought that, you know especially with, with what Kansas city can do sometimes and disrupt the passer. I mean, letting up two sacks isn't the end of the world, especially in a playoff game. We've seen burrow in with nine last year, but either way, I, I just was impressed with Kansas city. I'm really happy for them. Happy for that franchise. And uh, you know, I think we expected the chiefs to win. This is a, almost one of those games where if they lose every same deal is like, Oh, what's going on in Kansas city, all this stuff. Did they need Tyreek? But no, they took care of business going to the AFC championship. And then the Jaguars, it's all upside, right? It's still like, man, what a year. Um, what an incredible way to, to even end the season on just like, yeah, you know what? You were kind of a backdoor cover there, got you. But like, at least at least you were somewhat in this game. And it's not like you were the Giants, to your point earlier, Jeff, you know? Yeah. Uh, but now this is the standard, which I think they have to understand, right? Like. You can't go into next year being like, well, maybe we'll win the division. No, no like this is no. the standard now. I, and remember, we said this at the time, remember who they traded for, right? They're going to get Calvin Ridley. Yep. We're going to get fresh Calvin Ridley coming oh down my there. Gosh. Um, That's a, I, instantly the best receiving core in the league. No, I wouldn't say that. No. <laughs> um, it's, there are some ridiculous receiving cords. Um, but I, I do think um, it, it makes them that much better, right? Just having that high-end elite-level talent. Uh, giving somebody for for Trevor to work with and and know that like because Christian Kirk balled out this year and that's a guy who got a big contract that people said really you're giving Christian Kirk this contract uh, a lot of people laughed at it and instead he turned around and put together the best season of his career and proved that he can be not just like the deep threat guy that he was in Arizona right in Arizona he was just hey take the top off the defense go run it deep and Kyler is going to try to throw it deep and find you. And here they use them in a lot of different ways. And Doug is really good at that. Um, and, and I think for the future, you realize, hey, we have a good coaching. We have, we have a good head coach, good offense coordinator, got a great play caller in Doug Peterson. And Trevor Lawrence is 
I'm not going to be the guy that's like, oh, he is him. You know, it's he's a really, really solid player, man. And he's going to be a really good quarterback. Like, I think watching him kind of throw it on the line the way that he did in some of those moments, it has to make you feel good about them moving forward. They have a bunch of cap space still. They didn't spend all of it in free agency last year. Uh, and, and we'll see what they do in the draft. But that defensive line, I think, is going to get better. I think that defense is young and talented. They're going to get better. The future is bright in Jacksonville, man. Like, already this year, you finished the season 10-9, and nine, and you got it to the second round of the playoffs after having the number one overall pick in the draft. Similar to what we said with Seattle, right? Like, the, it doesn't get much better than that, considering where your expectations were and where you were this time last year. Like, oh, man, Urban Meyer, all that debacle. <laughs> <laughs> to be here now is a testament to to Doug Peterson, but I think it says the, the biggest testament goes to uh, Trevor Lawrence, who handled all that with grace and now sent his team almost to the AFC championship game. Uh, and, you know, they were right there. A couple mistakes away, they were right there. Uh, all right. Any other thoughts on this game? I think I hit all the notes that I wanted to hit. Um, final thoughts, Kansas City. How do we feel about Mahomes moving forward here with this injury? Um, remember Mac Jones had a similar injury earlier this season. He was out for, that was the Bailey Zappi era, right? He was out for, for four plus weeks. Um, yeah, a little different when it's week six, but, uh, than it is now. No, for sure. So, but just, I mean, high ankle sprains are notorious. I mean, the term yeah, high ankle brutal. sprain is, mm-hmm. is very vague, but what it essentially is, is it's like torn and stretched and ripped ligaments in your in your foot as opposed to like a low ankle sprain is like typically just strained and it's ice it's like when you roll your ankle versus like something like this where it's like your whole at leg is fucked up he was in a walking boot leaving the game i'm i'm pretty worried about i i would expect that he plays i'd be shocked if he didn't play um but after what we saw cincinnati do to josh allen i don't know i i'd be worried i'm worried man I'm worried. I'm really worried about it. Even if he can play, it's so different without being able to move like he usually does. It's going to be work. He's going to have way worse mobility next week than he did uh, this past this past Sunday. So or Saturday. Um, I, I'm not a pro athlete, but it's not getting any warmer. Uh, and usually, when you get hurt and it's cold out, it makes it really difficult to to play on it. Um, yeah. So, man, I like. I'd, I'd be a little worried too, because you know, that that's exactly what, what makes him good. Especially good this year is, is being able to, to be mobile and get out of the pocket and find the, the areas of space that get open because, uh, because of his mobility, because of him looking off receivers. If he's not that effective at that, that's going to change their offensive game plan a little bit more. And how do you practice? Right. I mean, it's Mahomes, So you expect like, Hey, Mahomes. if there's anybody in the league that you're not too worried about practicing all the time, it's probably Mahomes. But again, this is a really good Cincinnati defense thing up against. And luckily, you know, the offensive line for Kansas city is a lot better than Buffalo and what Buffalo has asked Josh Allen to do. And and a lot of what Josh Allen does is roll out and run in space. And Mahomes has proven that he can beat a good team from the pocket. Right. Does that make him as dangerous as he normally is? No, not even close. But it does prove like he he can do it. He can sit back there. He has the arm talent without having the, sure. that's the thing too. It's like this is his plant just, leg. Yeah. This is on his plant leg. So he's not going to be able to fire off that back hit. But Mahomes is all whip, dude. Like he's got all that just elbow wrist action. I think he'll be able to still put good enough velocity, pick 
teams apart defensively, but it takes that element of like what makes him special and it completely removes it. And now it's like, can he do it from the pocket? I don't know. When you have Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard and these guys coming down your throat, it's going to be really, really tough. Um, I, again, I think he'll play, but it definitely shapes um, shapes next week a little bit if, uh, interesting. They're still one-and-a-half-point favorites, so keep that in mind. Vegas Vegas doesn't seem to be as concerned as we are, um, but still concerned. I also hope that regardless of what happens next week, especially if Cincinnati wins, people don't discredit Cincinnati. Because remember last of year – Yeah, of course. <laughs> but I'm just saying, remember last year, Mahomes – I still believe, and it never came out, I still believe he got concussed in the first half of that game. He had a really nasty hit. He got cleared to come back, and he just looked like a completely different person out there in the second half and threw interceptions and was a huge reason why Cincinnati was able to come back down from 21 to 3. But I just – I hope it doesn't turn into like, oh, well, Cincinnati's only been able to beat Kansas City because Mahomes has been hurt twice. Like, if Cincinnati moves on, it's because they're really fucking good. All right. Um, all right, let's move to Saturday night. Why was I concerned? Why was I worried at all? You kidding me? Because it's a uh, because it's a division rivalry. Yeah, that's it was. Why. It was third game against a division rival is always tough. Yes, let um, me be the first to tell you. <laughs> first time in NFL, first time in Eagles history that they've ever beaten a team three times in a season. It was also the first opportunity they've ever had to beat a team three times in the same season. So one and zero in that regard, go, go birds on that. Um, but honestly, what it came down to, and this was the biggest reason was the question marks over Jalen hurts and Lane Johnson. Cause there wasn't a doubt in my mind that if both of those guys were playing high level, you know, 80% of what they normally are, that the Eagles were going to win that game comfortably. And going into higher game, than that, <laughs> Well, it's the thing going into the game. We didn't know. Right. And like on the second or third play, I think it was on the deep pass to Devante on the opening drive for the Eagles. They, the broadcast, the broadcast showed uh, Lane Johnson kind of grabbing at his groin a little bit. And I'm going, Oh no, like this is already starting. And then what does Lane Johnson do? 26 dropbacks, zero QB pressures, zero QB hits, zero sacks given up and a zero pass rush. Uh, win-loss rate for uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, who, again, young, rookie, explosive, freak athlete, and Lane Johnson just threw him into the dirt the whole, the whole fucking game. It was awesome. Uh, yeah. There's a, and then Jalen was the other one, right? And Jalen, I think part of the reason I think he made that throw and, and took a shot there in the opening drive was to tell everybody, like, hey, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. And he said to Pam Oliver, and this came out right before the game started, he said, I'm not even close to 100%. That's what Jalen said. Uh, and that nugget got dropped on the broadcast and I went like, oh, oh, OK, well, what, what does that mean? Turned out it didn't really mean a whole lot. Um, this was an ass whooping, man. This was an ass whooping in the one place that always matters in football, which is the trenches. The Eagles offensive line played. I think Jason Kelsey might have played the best game of his life because he him. Same thing as uh, as Lane Johnson, zero QB pressures going up against Dexter Lawrence. Uh, I'm sure everybody saw the viral block that he had one arm throwing a dude who outweighs him by 70 pounds onto the ground. Like it was nothing like he was throwing, you know, a, I don't even know what he was. He was throwing a box out of legs. Just get the fuck out of here. Swatting gnats and just throwing guys all around. Um, and the Eagles defensive line, just absolutely destroying the giants. I mean, Andrew Thomas was first team, all pro left tackle this year. And Josh sweat in his first game back was creating constant pressure. 
Uh, Brandon Graham in 12 snaps had two QB hits and a sack. Fletcher Cox getting in there with a sack. And then, of course, Hassan Reddick made Evan Neal's life uh, a living hell. So in uh, the line of scrimmage, both sides, the Eagles flat out dominated. The running game was uh, – they didn't have to do anything. And this was like one of the first notes that I took, um, which was that because the Eagles looked so good and they knew – they were like, we had one thing we had to do. Um, and I had I had it written – got to find what the exact stat was. Um, there it is. The Eagles ran the most – run read options in a game since the stat was first tracked in 2011. Right. So they ran one wow. iteration of a run read option, which again, it's tough to decide exactly what that is. Uh, but because they had that one play, that one play they could run over and over and over again, and it just dominated the entire time. The Eagles had a pretty vanilla game plan, right? They didn't have to show a whole lot here. They had one thing that worked over and over and over again. They threw in a couple of wrinkles, a cup, you know, a Dallas Goddard pass here, a little screen pass there. And I mean, AJ Brown, like didn't even have to do anything in this game other than make a couple blocks. And it wasn't because Xavier McKinney was shutting them down. It's just, they didn't need him. They could just dominate the game. They had more rushing yards, 268 than the giants had total yards. It was an ass kicking from start to finish. And the birds look really, really scary. Dude, and not to mention 10 for 14 on third, no turnovers. They they just played a complete game all over the place. I mean, you know, special team. They they did a great job. They really, really did. It was uh Jake Elliott's birthday. Oh, really? So uh yeah, yeah, he got the win on on vintage Jake's birthday there. So shout out to him. But either way, this is uh this was one of those games where you could just tell, and we said it before, like, you know, last week, it always comes down to the line and everything like that. And we thought it favored the Eagles, but holy shit, did they, they took it to another level, man. You're right. Having more rushing yards than the whole, the other team had yards is a, is an incredible stat. Like I bet you, if that happens, you win literally a hundred percent of the games. Like that, that's just ridiculous, man. Um, you, you can't win like that if you're the giants and they, they just didn't have the horses. Same deal. Like you said, they overachieved. They just didn't have the horses and the Eagles, Jalen, looked like Jalen um, like he did most of the year and they needed a game like this. You know, we were talking before the game with some folks and they were like, man, I hope he comes out there. I hope they give him a chance to really put it in the air. And they did, but then they didn't even need to go back to it that much. They were running yeah. so well. I mean, think about this. It wasn't just, and that's what I love about the Eagles, right? Yeah. Sanders had the most carries, but Hertz had nine. Kenny Gainwell played a hell of a game with 10 and Boston Scott still got in with six carries and a tutty himself. Like they, the classic they Boston really have Scott a touchdown. Deep, dude, it's, it's a deep, deep running back room and, and they're all playing exceptionally well right now. They are, but they played a defense that gave up 146 on the ground per game all season long. So I think part of what makes that rushing attack as, as difficult as it is for the Eagles is one, they have, the, the personnel to do it between uh, the three stable of running backs and one of whom is a pro bowler and Jalen hurts. Uh, and I think what makes that read option so successful is that you have to commit at least one linebacker to help out on, on the read. New York was committing two. they don't have the personnel to defend that either uh, because then that's when you find those open pockets with Dallas Goddard, right? Where he's able to, to get open over the middle because there's two linebackers committing to the read and the options open up for the pass. So um, I, I think it's it's going to be a tougher test, obviously. Everything is at this time of year. But again, New York was not not super great against the run all season long. So, I mean, 
that to me is a bit telling, but I think I, you know, again, they, the Eagles have proven it against good rush defenses too this season, not to disparage them by any means, but yeah. Well, and part of that's too, and that's a good point, Scott. Right. And, And the giants have the worst linebacking room in the NFL. Like not even close. I mean, Jalen Smith still still playing in the NFL. I mean, he was so sick at Notre Dame, tore his ACL in the bowl game. His career has never really been the same ever since. He did get that big contract in Dallas, and then they cut him like the next year. Um, and obviously, next week is you're going up against arguably the best linebacking room, right? But so much of it, right? And the Eagles were able to gash them in this game, right? Who was the, who did they play earlier in the year when they ran for 300 and something yards? Was it was it, it might have been the other Giants game actually that they ran for over 300 yards when Jalen had 150 and Miles had 150. I think it was the, the week 14 it's game against the game. Giants. Um and so that's like explosive. Like 268 <clears throat> rushing yards is an absurd number. But then it's not all about having games where you gash them for crazy numbers. It's about, can you run the ball consistently? And that's why it always comes back to the offensive and defensive lines with the offensive line. The Eagles have, yes, they're going to be able to end the style of stable of running backs and the Jalen and the style that they run in with the option stuff and the reading of linebackers. They're going to be able to gash teams with bad linebackers, but even against teams with good linebackers, they're going to be able to either work, play action, work, pass options off of those zone reads, freezing linebackers and forcing them to commit one way or the other. But when they do that, then passing lanes open up, running lanes open up. But also the offensive line is so good that they can still average four plus yards per carry, even against good defenses with good linebackers, which again goes back to what makes this defense, this offense so incredibly difficult to defend. Uh, And then we've seen it too, right? When teams sell out against them, and they want to say, hey, we're just going to go rip you over the top. They can do that, too. And A.J. Brown and Devontae can do that. Um, you mentioned it, Vito, right? He only threw the ball 24 times. Jalen did uh, 16 for 24, 154 yards. There was also like a, a 15 to 20-yard pass play that Devontae dropped along the sidelines on a third down in the second half. Mm-hmm. That was like an absolute dime of a throw, a ball that Devontae catches nine times out of ten. Uh, it was the it was one wild. Drop. It's right through his hands. Yeah. Hit him in perfect stride. He had both feet down. It was the perfect. Yeah. I mean, Devonte's is normally amazing at those. He let one slide. And those are mistakes you can't let slide next week. You know, you're not gonna be able to do that in the NFC championship game. Um, but a lot of credit in this game also goes to someone who I've bemoaned many times on this podcast, which is Jonathan Gannon. Right. My frustrations with Jonathan Gannon are not too dissimilar to many people who are Eagles fans. And Nick Sirianni went on his big post game, you know, um, I don't understand. Like it's the, it's crazy. The amount of people around the league call me and go, man, do Philly fans really not understand this genius that you have on your staff and how smart Jonathan Gannon is as if like painting us as like, we're it's like, dude, like less than a month ago, Jonathan Gannon got gashed for 40 plus points against the Cowboys. Like, like we're not, we're not crazy, okay? Jonathan Gannon has fucked up and has played far too conservative many times this season and many times in the last two seasons as with him as the defensive coordinator. However, credit where credit is due. The one thing he couldn't do, and I said this on Friday's pod, was that he couldn't come in giving Isaiah Hodgins and Darius Slayton and Richie James, you know, seven yards of space off the line of scrimmage. But the cornerbacks that you have, you have to challenge them with the line of scrimmage. And they played more at almost as much press man coverage as they did just flat out zone coverage with the cornerbacks. And Darius Slay 
and James Bradbury had themselves probably the two best games that both of them have played this year. James Bradbury, obviously with the big pick against his old team, that was awesome. And Darius Slay with an absolute like freak show. I think the passer rating against James Bradbury in this game was 0.0. Like that's just, he was, he was so outrageously good. Um, and it's because Gannon trusted them to go up against those wide receivers. Now against Debo, Brandon Ayuk, are you going to trust them that, that much to do that? Probably not. But you do have to mix some of that in. Otherwise, teams will pick you apart. And credit to Jonathan Gannon because he trusted those guys to play press man. And they did. And, and they, they completely shut out what had been a week before a pretty prolific passing offense. Granted, again, we know how terrible the passing defense of Minnesota had been. I mean, I think the coverage speaks for itself, too, to your point on that defensive side where they were they, they were able to actually force Dan Jones to make a, a mistake and throw a pick. And I thought that, you know, if he played a clean game, that was the only that was the only way the Giants had a chance to win. Like even if they played well in a lot of their facets defensively, their line had more push. They were running the ball well. Either way, you couldn't turn the ball over. And the Eagles not only played, you know, just stout defense in general, they also created that turnover. And uh, even though it didn't result in points, which is kind of crazy, it stopped the Giants, really reset them. And they had Eagles got stopped too. They ended up punting. Um, and I just remember that that just reset that momentum. And when you're beating up on a team, it's important that anything that they get, you push back down. I mean, it wasn't until that third quarter that they really had a meaningful drive into the Eagles territory because again, right when they were crossing the 50 is when this happened. So um, that was, that was a big play by that defense. Yeah. I, I thought the Eagles defense played outstanding on every level. I thought, and they're going to need it again next week. Cause you're white uh, multiple times, basically just following Saquon in motion, right? Because one of the things the giants would do a lot is they would, split out Saquon in, in the slot, motion him in next to Daniel Jones, and then send him across the line of scrimmage and send him out on a flare out. Or they'd have him just line up and shotgun next to Daniel Jones, send him out wide, and you just see Kazir just chase him all the way out. And there were multiple big-time plays, you know, where it's Saquon Barkley in open field, and Kazir made big-time tackles. And next week when you're going up against Kittle and guys like that, like Kazir White is a is like an elite athlete for the linebacker position. He's incredibly fast. I think he was like a 4-4-40 guy. He plays linebacker. He was kind of like a hybrid, like safety linebacker guy. He's put on some weight, and he plays really solid. And they're going to need that kind of play going up against a guy like Christian McCaffrey and going up against a guy like George Kittle next week. Um and for me to see some of the scheming stuff that they did, it really felt like this. I thought this was the best schemed game Gannon's had all year where it felt like every, everything he called worked and it was very much a, Hey, we are the better team. And they said it in the, in the locker room afterwards, like, Hey, like we, if we do what we do best and we focus on us in this locker room, we will beat any team that comes into our house. And I think that proved out uh, obviously against a much inferior giants team. Um, but it should be should be worth noting. Um, Scotty, take the take the, the the beer muscles off for a second. Take the hey rah rah Niners bang bang Niners gang stuff off for a second. Objectively, does this game sh- change the way that you were potentially thinking of a, a an NFC Championship game against the Eagles? No, um, it doesn't because. And I think largely the the argument for for me right now is personnel. Like Shanahan's been there, uh, Debo, Kittle, Ayuk have all been there at the very least. 
the only question mark is going to be Brock, right? And we saw how how that went against a really good defensive line uh, against the Dallas Cowboys, which we'll talk about. But um, McCaffrey's got experience there too, right? And he's a he's one of the the more elite guys in the league. So I think at that point, it's like, yeah, it, it was a it was a blowout for the Eagles. They played well at every level. Take nothing away from that. But besides Dable, nobody really on that team had ever been in that spot right yeah i mean they played you know they they had a game under their belt in the playoffs right so you give them that and and that is a fair point um i guess my follow-up to that would be the health looking at the health of like jalen and lane johnson how well they played right knowing that and, and one of my notes was like this is the first time since the game uh before chicago the chicago game because the eagles didn't look great in that game where it looked like this was like the midseason Eagles team again, the way that everything kind of flowed, the play calling, the defensive, the pressure, like everything. It was the first time it felt like, hey, this is that team we watched dominate all year. Um, and that's why, to me, it I, I felt more confident about next week based off of just they looked the way they had looked. It's not like it's all of a sudden like Dallas, like Dallas blows the doors off of Tampa Bay. It's like, yeah, but that really hasn't been who you've been all year. Like, yeah, you played a good game, and that's the beware of the team that looked but, too good in the first round yeah. thing coming out, right? And we saw that in the San Francisco game. This is how the Eagles have looked all year. And if Jalen and Lane are healthy enough to do that, it's a completely different team. And, and, and the feel and the energy and all of that feels completely different to me. So that's, I don't know, that's why. Especially at home. Especially at home, too. And, and, you know, the other thing with that, too, with Jalen and, and uh lane johnson i was talking about the the ability to be effective in all phases of offense because of what the read option opens up for you uh both the podcast and the uh and the scheme uh <laughs> but but because uh like like i said they're going and i'll talk more about this on on friday's podcast but they're going against the best linebacking core in the league right yeah so it depends a on on offense for the eagles where do those guys submit right we saw what for the Cowboys, even what Michael Parsons committed to for a lot of the game and, and how that went um, when it switched. And so I think that's that's part of it for the the Eagles offense. And then on defense, it, it's going to be the same question that you've had almost week in and week out, Jeff, is what's Jonathan Gannon going to scheme up? Because this is a completely different offense from what they're, they've played all season long. Yeah, and if they come out flat and and playing really soft like they did against Dallas, I would expect Brock Purdy to be able to move the ball. And 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 again, we'll like you said, we will do a full breakdown. I think this time of year, it's fair to kind of take our immediate reaction from this weekend, talk about it a little bit now, give ourselves the week to kind of sleep on a little bit. Um, but this was a, a stat uh, I looked up myself was Brock Brock Purdy. Uh, two road games he's played so far in his NFL career: the game against Seattle. <laughs> Which is, just, can we just, wait, yeah, that that's stat. just a funny stat in itself. Brock Purdy's only played two road games and uh, just sorry, that's hilarious. And, and now he's playing that. in the NFC championship game. Yeah. Yeah. Both. It's yeah. ridiculous. Um, and they were his two worst games, which was the game against Seattle and the game against the Raiders. Now, look, he did they come around better against the Raiders? For sure. McCaffrey also went off in the second half and they ran the ball a lot better in the second half in that game. So it wasn't all Brock Purdy out there slinging it. Um, and then this is a fun nugget. This is from uh, Elliot Shores Parks, who I'm not a big fan of. Uh, he's a local Philly guy, but you know, it is what it is. He has a good stat here. Uh, Iowa State, when Brock Purdy was there, 21 and four at home, 
10 and 13 on the road slash neutral site fields may mean something might mean absolutely nothing, but again, whatever makes Philly sleep at night, I, you know, but whatever. Dak, I'm just saying that goes back to the, none of us have any idea of what's going to happen with Brock Purdy back there. And based off of, I'd say last night was probably his worst game so far. Uh, at some point, the luck's going to run out. Um, any other thoughts here, Vito? What do you th- what do you think as the unbiased guy here between Philly and Niners as your immediate Monday mon- Monday morning quarterback over under reaction? How do you feel about this game in Philly this weekend? Man, I think the Eagles they look like they're pure, and if they're running and gunning, I'll tell you what. I, I think both defenses will be up in each other's faces, and this is going to be fun. But I actually think that's going to result in a lot of scoring because I don't think mm. I think both these offenses are that talented. That yes, these defenses are great, but I think the Eagles are one of the very few offenses that can get points up on San Fran. And I also love like San Fran players create a lot of matchup problems with some of the Eagles defense defenders. So I think it's actually going to be a high scoring game. And I think uh I mean obviously I'm I'm rooting for the Eagles, but yeah. I think I think that's gonna be an epic game. I really do. I mean, Scotty, you and I said that honestly, I think it was you and I were golfing the whenever the last time we went golfing a couple months ago. And I, and we both were saying yeah, like, it was like like we're like the this might destroy, the season we're like it might destroy <laughs> no I think it was even later than that it was after I uh-huh. think it was after after the uh, the Purdy stuff but mm. we both said we were like like man like it might destroy our friendship and it might destroy the podcast but at the same time like I want to see that I want to see these two teams it's, on the field at the same time yeah it would be yeah, awesome. I do too and we play each other next year in Philly by the way yeah. uh, um, but that's true. but yeah I I do too it's it and again it's. I knew I kind of knew we were barreling toward this. I had an inclination we were barreling toward this. So the last time I was up there in Philly in uh, December before Christmas, I was going around the room. Of course, there was drinking involved. And I was like, we are barreling toward a scenario that I don't want to be a part of. And I don't think you do either, Philly fans. No. Uh, <laughs> have either of you seen the line yet? Yes or no? As soon as I have. So yeah, a, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was because I was going to say try to if I was curious if you hadn't. I was going to ask you to try to handicap it and see if it, yeah. I have, yeah. Eagles, Eagles are two and a half point favorites at home right now, which is the classic home field advantage. And I think that's, I think that's about right. I, I think that line's about right. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. All right, let's take a quick, I, go ahead. Yeah. Before we take a break. I was going to say, I can see that line moving volatilely uh, all week long. I don't know, man. Cause it's so close that uh, I can, I'm I can getting see it on both sides. Two and a half. I think it's gonna be. Oh yeah, it's gonna, I would. I think there's gonna be money agree. on the Eagles side. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Hard right now. And we'll and we'll see on Friday's pod how much it moves by the time yeah you know, we record on Thursday night. But oof, oh man, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. A uh, little bit. I, I'd say at least the last thing to add here for for the Eagles. Um, AJ Brown did have a little bit of what looked like a hip thing. He said he was fine. Everyone said it's fine. Nothing to really look out uh, too much for. Um, Elijah Mitchell and Christian McCaffrey, both on the injury report listed as questionable. They'll both play, but again, and that goes back to that, like five spread offense. When you have those five guys, you take one of them off and it becomes a lot easier to defend. Even if it's just, you know, 14, 15 snaps in that game. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back on the other side. We have our Sunday games. We'll get more in depth on the Niners Cowboys. And we'll talk about that Buffalo bills and Cincinnati game as well right on the other side Sunday games uh not gonna lie a little disappointed in how Cincy and Buffalo ended up um mm-hmm. 
it sucked too because the snow game, it's in Buffalo, Demar Hamlin's in the building. Like it just had all the makings of like this is gonna be just an absolutely epic game. And like I can't wait for this game. Like it's gonna be awesome. And Cincinnati just never let it happen, man. And all the credit in the world goes to Joe Burrow, Zach Taylor, the defense of Cincinnati, Lou Amaro, uh, Aramara, whatever his name is. Um, God, just a really, really awesome looking performance from the Cincinnati Bengals. This game could have been an even bigger blowout if it wasn't for the uh, turned over touchdown catch from Jamar Chase, which I had Jamar Chase uh, two tutties in that game, but I also had the under betting and Hey, I said it on the pod on Friday. My sneaky pick of the week was Cincy and Buffalo under. I didn't think it would roll out quite this way, but I did think (laughs) the under would hit and it hit by over 10 points. So um, first reactions here, um, Vito, we can start with you from this game, Cincy and Buffalo. What was your gut takeaway from this game? Cincy, their defense just shows up in the playoffs. Like, uh, listen, I didn't love them all year. They were, they were doing well, but like, listen, this team, obviously Buffalo wasn't going to run the ball and they were going to try and pass, but they, they really shut it down. The Bengals line also got a lot of push. They were gashing the Bills defense. They really were. I mean, Matt Milano, I think ended up first team all pro, right? And they, yeah. he just, he was rendered useless because the guards were getting the second level so well. Like that was, that was uh, not the, at Oliver's best game, that was not some of those guys on the defensive line, they, not their best, but the Bengals showed up in the blizzard, which also was wild. I think one of my takeaways, everyone loves seeing DeMar there, right? And right before, you know, he he held up a heart with his hands right before a goal line stand that they got or whatever. It was awesome. But then the funniest part is they kept trying to check back to him. I don't know if you guys saw those. And they were like, yeah. DeMar. And, you couldn't and it was see just him a blizzard. And you, yeah, you just couldn't, couldn't see, see it across anything. the other side of the stadium. <laughs> It was like so nice to have something about this whole scenario be like hilarious, you know, where they're like, there's DeMar. And it's like, is he like, come on, guys, like, at him? Least get a like, camera I, in there. I literally like- can't see him. And <laughs> sure. Yeah, and it was like they were very protective of him the whole time, like given the health stuff, because he's obviously still not 100 percent. Like they were mm-hmm. very protective. He had like a full security detail getting him in and out of the stadium. Like even when he went from like the locker room over to the elevator, they had like five guys around him. So the cameras couldn't even Diana Rossini was there and like took a video of him getting in the elevator to go up to the boxes and you couldn't see anything. Um, it, I think it was great that he was there and stuff, but yeah, I mean, at some point, like when you're on the field for that long, like I feel like in the locker room, you see him, he might've given a speech. He might've said something, right. You, you go out there, you you're piped up. But once the game started, like, are you thinking that much about it anymore? Yeah. Like, well, not to sound insensitive to it, but like, it kind of, no, it's no, like you're, you're focused right. on winning a game at that point. Yeah. Man. And, it, it's and how f- much can you, how much can you actually like get them hyped up? Right. I'm sure there's a concern of like, we don't want you to get, cause we know how hyped up these guys can get, especially in a spot like that. Yeah. We don't want your blood pressure to get too high. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, no seriously, I mean, like medically, like, I mean, well, he's getting fine that with blood pressure. Is, That's fine. He's fine yeah. there. Like, it's just a, it's, he's fine. I think the biggest thing for the, him is that, like, and, and the fan, I think it was more for the fans to your point, Jeff. Like, the players are locked in and all they know is that they want their crowd to be loud. And I feel like it was like the stadium guy being like, all right, let's show DeMar real quick on, like, we got approval. Let's go ahead and show this box. And then the fans went nuts and, like, they got to be pumped. And I bet you, like, 
you know what I mean? It, it's just one of those things like that where it's just to get the the fans going. Because to your point, the players are locked in. They've been talking to them for weeks. This whole thing is is probably not distant in their minds, right? But you you the NFL guys are week to week, and you have yeah. to have a, a short term memory to be good. And all these teams are good, so you know they're probably like this is the new usual. Let's just keep moving and and but the fans that was massive. Yeah, and, and I think overall, it's, it was a great thing. It was cool for the viewer at home. It was cool for the people in the stadium. Mm-hmm. It was great for both teams, I think, to be able to know that he was there at the game. Like, that's amazing. Um, but in that same breath of, like, using motivation, think about the other side of the ball. Like, Cincinnati used that. I'm sure you guys have heard the clip by now, but, like, the fact that they sold the neutral game tickets and Joe Burrow immediately in the on the field getting interviewed by Tracy Wolfson – is just like, yeah, I hope you got your refunds or better send out your refunds. Whatever he said, like mentioning the refunds yeah. to, the, to the neutral field site tickets, like clearly Cincinnati plays with this chip on their shoulder. And that all stems back to Joe Burrow, right? And this is, and I'm not going to take a victory lap yet, right? Right. It's too early still. But when we had our debate, that was by far the most contentious debate we've ever had on this podcast between Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert and who of that like next crop of young quarterbacks, not including Mahomes or Allen, we wanted to be our quarterback of the future. I was on Burrow Island over here and it's because of that exact reason, right? His ability to galvanize a locker room around him, that whole team bought into his mentality. He is such an elite level leader and plays with such swag and confidence, but still keeps like he plays like he knows he's the best quarterback in the NFL And at the same time, he's still the dude who had to transfer from Ohio State because he couldn't beat out Dwayne Haskins and had to go to LSU and win that job and get the shit kicked out of him a year at LSU, right? Like, he he carries both of these, which Brady was the same way. Um, And it's a really unique personality trait that is super contagious and brings the best out of the people around him. And that first drive, like, he came out on fire. And like it was because he ended up not having a crazy statistical day 23 of 36, no. 242 yards, two touchdowns should have probably been a third. And we can talk about the, the catch, no catch thing in a little bit. But I thought the way Joe Burrow came out and put a stamp on that game and it wasn't just Joe Burrow. The other really impressive thing with his offense, which is something they've been really hit or miss on throughout throughout the most of the regular season was their commitment to the run. And they ran the ball. 34 times in this game, right? And designed runs, they ran it 28 times in this game, which is really high for Cincinnati. To basically have a 50-50 run pass split is really rare for the Bengals. and Especially with three starting offensive linemen out. Yeah, which I actually thought was a really smart way to do it, right? Because the Bills did not look comfortable playing on snow. And it's not like Cincinnati had much experience, but as the aggressor, you tend to have the advantage on that, on that, right? So, hey, we have our backup offensive lineman in. The field surface is a little more slippery. Let's go down their throat. Let's let's start off this game by running the ball aggressively. And it was like, bang, bang, 10 yards, Joe Mixon, six yards, Joe Mixon, six, <laughs> six yards, Samaji P. Ryan. Excuse me. But he was just going like, bang, bang, one after the other. And then, hey, we're at the 25. Joe Burrow hits a perfect little pass over the seam to Jamar Chase scores a touchdown. And and to me, like that was as brilliant of a way to start off a game and completely set the tone. Buffalo gets the ball back. They go three and out. And then Cincinnati just goes right back down the field and does the exact same thing. Third and eight from the, the Buffalo 20-yard line in the red zone. Wide open uh, fade route to, uh, to Hayden Hurst 
for the touchdown. And at that point, you're at 14 nothing, and it didn't seem like Buffalo had any ability to get back in that game. Yeah, what did Buffalo run like six plays before it was like 17 nothing, and they had run yeah. six plays in the game? It was wild. Um, but yeah, man, that's what Joe Burrow does, right? He he you you watch the the views of him in the pocket. It's it's the commitment to the run, which you know, again, cliches like you say all the time, Jeff, cliches are cliche for a reason. When you get to this point in the season, that's what you need to be effective at is running the ball. That's how they won down the stretch last year, the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, and it's it's been made very clear over, at least in Josh Allen's tenure, they're not going to commit to running the ball unless it's Josh Allen, right? And and so when you know that your running game is that one-dimensional and it forces um, the Bills' offense to, to have Josh Allen be the uh, slinging the ball 40 yards down the field to, to Diggs or Davis or whoever can take the top off, man, that's... That's not a good game plan. That's how you end up with 17 points on the board against you and six plays running the entire game. Like, um, so yeah, man, I, I I think the the firm commitment to being able to run the ball uh was huge for Cincinnati, but you know, that opens up a lot for 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 Burrow too. Like he's able to manipulate the pocket, manipulate those guys on, in the second level, including Milano, who's an all pro, because he has a running back who's who has been effective for most of the game, right? I mean, that's huge. Yeah. And, and and beyond that, the talent that he's got on the outside, um, and, and Hayden Hurst, who had a big game too, was was just it was fun to watch as a as a football fan. Yeah, I I was so impressed with the Bengals defense. I mean, think about this: Joe Burrow had more rushing yards than Josh Allen did, yeah. and. He had less carries, but I mean, he at least moved the ball when he needed to. He's just that guy. I loved pre uh, pregame. I'm sure you guys saw it. it was going around on Twitter and Instagram and everything of him like throwing the warm up ball and then holding his pose oh, and like ju- and dancing around in a circle as you just see it just drop behind. And it kind of cuts out if it was complete or not. You just assume it was perfect by the confidence he has. But like that is, just seeing that's that, the club like, twirl the of game, warming up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're just like, God damn it, this guy's amazing. It's like. <laughs> Literally, that's the closest thing we have to like Steph shooting threes and just like I don't know, just the confidence and something in warm up. Just seeing it, it's you're like, swag. Fuck, that guy's awesome. It's, it's, yeah, it's a big offs. It's a big playoffs for uh for the swaggiest quarterbacks in the NFL because between Jalen Hurts and Joe Burrow, and honestly, fucking Brock Purdy's got a little bit of swag to him as well. Like yeah. between those two guys, like you're talking about like the two iciest fucking dudes in the NFL. Like it's just Jalen Hurts is like a much different type of swag. His is like the yeah like dead focused, but looking clean as all hell, like badass motherfucker kind of, uh, you know, swag. And then Joe Burrows, like Macaulay Culkin grown up to be like the baddest motherfucker on the planet. And, uh, but also just like has this like cool man swag about him that LSU, I still, every time I see him, like I see him do that. I'm like, Oh, that's probably something he did at LSU. Right. Like it's, it's crazy to me how in his third year in the NFL, after tearing his ACL in year one, he's now back to back AFC championship games. You know, and when Mahomes did that, right, back-to-back AFC championship games after he sat for his first year, it was like, oh, my God, Patrick Mahomes is amazing. I think if we're talking about the best quarterbacks in the NFL right now, I think Joe Burrow's number two. And I, think, I, and, right. I, and, I, and I think he's there's a legitimate argument that he could be number one. Orlovsky made that argument today. I was watching on, on the ESPN circuit. He said I, Joe Burrow's the best quarterback. He might not be the best football player on the field or the best athlete, 
but he's the best quarterback when it comes to quarterbacking. I just like what he does and as a leader and everything else too, it's like, I just don't know how many other people I want leading a franchise right now. Like if you gave me the option of him or Mahomes, I would have to seriously, seriously consider taking Joe Burrow in the future. And that says so much because of how fucking ridiculous Patrick Mahomes is. And, and, and there's nothing like I will never slander Patrick Mahomes. That's just how much I believe in Joe Burrow. And there and, needs to be like in Madden, there needs to be a swagger rating. They have like awareness. There needs yeah. to be swagger. And Burrow's one of the few that has like a hundred, like everything goes yes. to 99. They give him a hundred. He's clearly the bar and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's just ridiculous, man. And like, and, and there's, I forget what the three pillars are. Steven Ruiz from uh, the ringer does uh quarterback rankings every single week. Um, and there's basically, there's like three pillars, which are, it's like playmaking accuracy uh, and, and the third one is like a, a, a fancy word for basically like efficiency, right? Like how long do you hold on to the ball? And most really good quarterbacks are excellent out of two out of the three. And the usually there's one that's kind of lacking. Um, you could call it awareness, right? And Joe Burrow held on to the ball longer than anybody else in the NFL uh, last year, right? Slowest time to release because he was always trying to make plays. And it resulted in a ton of sacks. He had the most non like uh, non like busted coverage, busted protection sacks where he just held on to the ball too long, was making mistakes. And it is basically unprecedented to have a quarterback go from being the worst in the league at that to one of the best. And that's what Joe Burrow did in a year. Like he is just, he knows he's like, all right, I have to do this thing better. Next year I'm coming back. I'm going to be in the best in the NFL at that. And that's exactly like, that's that Tom Brady mentality. Like, and I people don't want to make that comparison because it's the greatest quarterback and greatest football player of all time in Tom Brady. But that's the way that Joe Burrow handles himself. And it's very Tom Brady ish. And I, I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, I want to talk for a second about the uh, the Bills. Going back two years ago when they lost to Kansas City in the AFC championship game. And then again, last year, they lost to them in Kansas City on the overtime game, that epic game. Um we talked about this, right? Because it was like, where you're going to have Josh Allen, you're going to have Patrick Mahomes, and the two of them are going to go head-to-head in the NFL for years to come. Not anticipating that Joe Burrow was going to be a thing. Um, <laughs> but when they did that, we noticed a trend in Brandon Bean, who is the uh, the general manager for the Buffalo Bills, who's a very good GM, at least perception-wise around the NFL. Look, just I have a list here of the investments that they've made on the defensive line. Because remember, the whole mentality was if we generate enough pressure, we'll be able to beat Patrick Mahomes because Mahomes was the standard. That's who we had to beat. First round pick on Ed Oliver, second round pick on AJ Epinesa, first round pick on Gregory Rousseau, second round pick on Boogie Basham, two year, $15 million contract to Vernon Butler, three year, $30.5 million contract to Mario Addison. Two-year, $13.5 million contract to Quentin Jefferson. Two-year, $14 million contract to Daquan Jones. Six-year, $120 million contract to Von Miller. And what was the biggest weakness of that of, of the team yesterday? Arguably. The defensive line. Yeah, was, and like, yeah. not, not having <laughs> they Vaughn. They needed Vaughn. I get it. Yeah, That's a 100%. huge loss. Huge loss. But still, even before Vaughn got hurt, they were like top 10 D-line in terms of performance in the NFL. They yeah. invested so much, so many high quality resources. Their offensive line was terrible yesterday and their offensive line has been kind of middle of the road all season. And it really came back to bite them in the ass yesterday. Josh, uh, Josh Allen 
kind of went back to looking like first, second year Josh Allen, going back to purely playing hero ball. And then the defense, their secondary was completely depleted, which some of that was like DeMar Hamlin, but it was also Jordan Poyer coming back from injury, his first game in how many weeks. You know, it, they were banged up across the board. Davis White coming off of the ACL. They didn't invest in depth at other areas. They went all in on the defensive line, and the D-line hasn't done anything to bail them out. And again, no Vaughn. That's a huge risk. But they also gave a six-year, $120 million contract to a 32-year-old, you know, for, not to say he's still not a stud, but a former stud because he's not that guy anymore. He's still really, really, really know. good. He still looked great. It's just you got to be he's there. Not, to your, but he's not. He's got to be healthy. He's not Denver. Like you watched him in Denver, Vito. He's never going to be that guy again. I, I'm telling. I'm telling you. I thought earlier this year it was the best he looked in like three years, four years. But you're but, right. Maybe not prime, but still, like that's that's still. I, I think he still has it, but he can't. Ha- he's not going to have the snap count and everything like that. To your point, like going back to 2015, Denver. Right. That's the year they won the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that version of Von Miller's never coming back. Three years out of college, Von Miller's never coming back. And you gave him money to produce at the level of a guy who should be producing at that at that kind of standard. Um, and again, if he's healthy, it probably does change some things. But I don't know, man. Um, the other thing I want to mention about Buffalo here, and it got buried away a little bit. But do you remember in like, I think it was like week 10, week 11, Josh Allen had the UCL injury. In his elbow, yeah, yeah, and he it was just like he was good. I thought it was before that. It, no, it was like pretty. It was like middle to late of the season. Um, it, it, it I think we'll say it was like somewhere between week eight and week eleven, like somewhere in that window. Um, but either way, he just like everyone was worried about it, and then he just came back and he played, and I think they won, and then everyone just like kind of forgot about it. And I, I'll be curious if at some point in the next couple of weeks we hear Josh Allen successful surgery to repair a, a you know, a torn UCL mm. and he had been playing this whole time from the time Buffalo kind of started to go downhill a little bit with this torn UCL. Right. And he just was kind of pushing through it because just something didn't look right. Like I, 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 there was a clear line between the version of him we saw here and the version we saw in the beginning of the season. And maybe it's the UCL or maybe it's not, maybe it's in his head, right? Both things could be true. It could be one or the other. But it's just yeah. something I had remembered watching that game. I was like, man, like, is he hurt? And then I looked up, I was like, oh, yeah, he had that UCL thing in his elbow, and, and no one's talked about it since. So you assume that it's fine, but knowing Josh Allen, he would play through it anyway. And you couple that with what you saw last week, too, which was uncharacteristic. Um, but I think a, a lot of that goes back to decision-making, and it's it's something you've brought up on the pod before, Jeff. Like, maybe this is the best version of Josh Allen that we have that like this is the peak um and he just is what he is right it's get to a big game got to play hero ball and you know oftentimes that's that's not a recipe for winning in the NFL especially at this yeah. point in the year i also think they made a mistake going all in on gabe davis he had that real hot streak at the end of last season and he was boomer bust all year you know like after seeing the way that you know jacksonville used christian kirk this year you couldn't tell me that like Christian Kirk wouldn't have been a better fit than Gabe Davis. And instead they decided to pay Gabe Davis. Right. And, and not, not too different of a contract, but it was either Gabe Davis had like 160 yards and two touchdowns and, and caught like a 70 yard bomb, or he didn't really do much of anything else. And what was really smart was Cincinnati 
completely iced out Dawson Knox, Stephon Diggs, and Gabe Davis. And the only way that Buffalo was able to move the ball through the air was with like Shakir and Cole Beasley. Um, and, and it also goes back to something we've talked about at nauseum here. When are they going to learn that they have to run the fucking football? Yeah. And like, I like, I, I get that he's a rookie, but James Cook had run so effectively the past like four or five weeks uh, of the regular season. And even the, the game against uh, Miami in the, in the wild card, like why? And Singletary had a, a pretty uh, decent year too, especially in the back end. So like, I don't yeah. understand why you're not, like helping those guys be successful by committing to the run because that offense looks vastly different and it doesn't require Josh Allen to play hero ball when that happens. No. And Ken Dorsey, I mean, I felt like they kind of took some of what they did last year and just like forced it. Like it felt like so much of that offense was just like, Hey, how can we just have Josh Allen just do everything? Um, yeah. Which is why I feel like, you know, maybe it, it was, what, the- maybe the criticism of Josh Allen isn't totally fair because he could have been hurt. Um, Stefan Diggs was getting real pissed at him. I don't know if you guys saw the story. Yeah. After the game, he like ran immediately off the field, changed, got all the stuff and tried to leave. And Duke Johnson had to be like, yo, dude, like, what are you doing? You're one of the captains on this team. Like you're not the coaching staff hadn't even all gotten back to the locker room yet. Like McDermott hadn't even given his speech and Stefan Diggs was trying to get out of there, which is like, dude, like, come on. Yeah, man. Um, and, and, and there was one throw that like Josh Allen threw a little low uh, that ended up skipping to Stefan Diggs and he couldn't catch it. And he's sitting there like, you know, giving like the hand signal, like, come on, like, get that yeah, off. Like, what are you that. doing? And you're like, I, again, I don't know. Something just seemed off. Um, I think Leslie Frazier probably has to go. I think some new blood there on the defensive end. But I think Brandon Bean's got to look in the mirror and say, "Hey, we gotta, we gotta pick something up here. Like, we gotta change something. We gotta invest in other positions because spending all of our resources, or at least a large majority of our resources, on defensive linemen probably isn't it. It's probably not it. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll see. Uh, early thoughts: Kansas City, Cincinnati. Um, like I said before, Kansas City is a one and a half point favorite, but." The Bengals are going to go in with the confidence and knowing that they can win a game in Arrowhead to go to the Super Bowl. They did it this time last year. Uh, and they also are going to have the chip on the shoulder that even with an injured one-legged Mahomes, they're still going to be the underdog. And I think Cincinnati really likes being in that position of being the underdog. I do too, but I think that the Chiefs really like being in the position finally where like in their mind, right? Forget the media, forget everybody. This is the team that beat us last year. They are reigning AFC champs. Uh, like they are the the on the top of the mountain that we have to knock them off. Like they have the target on their back, not us. Whether it's true or not, I think that's good for the Chiefs to finally have a team that they can say last year it was better than them because there are very few teams that you could say that about. And so I, I hope that adds an edge for for those Chiefs. Yeah, and and. You know, I think you have to progress through the week, assuming that Mahomes is going to play. But even just like in the back of your mind, knowing that your offense is more than capable enough without Mahomes at 100 percent to be able to to be effective. And if if you're a defensive player uh, for for Kansas City, just locking in like like you did in uh, in the divisional round here against the uh, against the Jaguars, because. That was the best defense we've seen them play all season. So um, it's going to have to come on both sides of the ball, but I'm pretty sure like 
you know, the Tigers lurking, man, that Bengal tiger is lurking. Uh, and it's, it's on both sides. It's Joe Burrow uh, and, and Jamar and all those boys. And, uh, and on defense, man, if they keep getting better and better, uh, the Bengals are, are, they can get after you uh, on the defensive side. So I, I think it's going to be a really freaking good game. I really do. I think so too. I, I think both are going to be fantastic. Um, just a, a quick reminder to everybody. Um, Cincinnati three and O in their last three meetings against the Kansas city chiefs, uh, or sorry, two and O in their last three meetings, last two meetings. Sorry. This would be three in a row. Um, no, sorry. Wait, did I have that wrong? Yeah, no, I did. I did have that wrong. My mistake. You were right the first time. Yeah. Yeah. I was right the first time. Um, so this would be the fourth consecutive win against the the Kansas city chiefs for the Bengals. So I I'm curious. I think you're right. Vito to that point. I think not only is it revenge from last year, but it's, Hey, we need to prove that we can beat this team. Uh, and, and four losses in a row to the Bengals. I mean, that's just at that point, you're just getting owned, right? Like they just, they own you in that, in that case. So I think this game is going to be awesome. I, I cannot wait. Um, the other thing too is I think Travis Kelsey is going to be a really big problem for Cincinnati. You know, they're another team. They don't really have a guy who can match up with him, right? Unless you're going to just have Jesse Bates follow him around the field, or maybe you send, you know, one of your cornerbacks to follow him around too. I I don't know if uh, you know, if if Cincinnati has a guy to go one-on-one with Travis Kelsey. And if he if they do, you know, Travis Kelsey's still going to beat them more often than not. This tends to be what happens. Um, but right now, my slight lean is towards Cincinnati plus one and a half. But we'll we'll see as we get there. All right, last game of the divisional round. Scotty, your boys, uh, they win. They cover the spread, and uh, they move on to the uh, divisional or the conference championship for the second straight year. Uh, I believe mm. it's this is the third out of the last four years that they've been in the AFC or NFC conference championship game, which sure is something is. to be excited about for uh, all the Niners fans out there. Um, if we could win one, bring <laughs> Oh, we'll see. Uh, bring us into the mindset here. Brock Purdy didn't look great. I think there was about three should have been interceptions that the Cowboys dropped, uh, including a big one on the goal line there. Yeah. Um, that ended ended up being the play that Chris, the drive that Christian McCaffrey scored the touchdown that kind of ended up winning the game for you guys in the fourth quarter. Uh, they still got the job done. The defense looked amazing. How are we feeling? How did you feel watching that game last night? Um, you know, it was it was more anxious than it needed to be, right? Because uh, there were several points where where you know we could move the ball and and it would get down to it, and uh, we'd end up kicking the field goal. Thank God for Robbie Gould, uh, former Penn Stater, by the way. Uh, but it was it, to me, and I texted you guys this. It was like why are, I, I didn't understand some of the play calling. Right, we're putting Brock Purdy in situations where um, he's having to force things. Right, mm-hmm. we're going third and one or third and two and we're and granted a lot of the third downs were were third and medium to long uh for both sides but we finally get um on our side of the 50 uh a third and two and we're running a pass play like that didn't make sense to me that's where you line up the big guys and 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 go bang it uh up the middle for for two or three yards to get the first down with christian mccaffrey and eli mitchell uh but then you force Brock Purdy, you're throwing the ball, and then we're forcing Brock Purdy out of the pocket, uh, which is something that the 
we've seen two weeks in a row now that the the Seattle defense and uh, the Dallas defense did pretty effectively uh, for most of the game. Uh, and then forcing Brock to not only throw on the run, but make a decision on the run um, usually doesn't spell out well for a rookie quarterback. And that's what you saw some of those, uh, some of those incompletions that were near interceptions. Um, I just, I, I don't know what it was. I don't know because Kyle has this tendency too to get to this point in the season to start getting a little cute. Um, I don't know if it was that or if it was, Hey, I've got confidence in this guy to pick up the first down on a, on a slant route on the slot uh, or, or a weird play that we thought, Hey, uh, Kittle, Ayuk or, or Juwan Jennings might be open somewhere on the outside of the numbers, but this team is most effective, especially with Brock Purdy when they're, when they're inside the numbers. Uh, and so I don't, I don't know what the, the penchant is for, for calling plays where you're, where it, it forces Brock into bad situations, but got the job done. So. Yeah, it did. Um, I think the defense absolutely wins this game for you. Uh, the second a, half, little, second half. Yeah. yeah. A little bit of luck as well. Um, obviously you never want to see guys go down the Tony Pollard in, injury. I felt was a yeah. big momentum change here. Um, I mean, ultimately, it's two things, right? I think this is Dak. Like, this is what Dak does in big games. Like, Dak gave you guys two huge gifts, right? Both interceptions. Um, you were able to capitalize on one, weren't able to capitalize on the other. Um, but still, like, you were able to take that. Dak did not look good. And part a lot of that has to do with the amount of pressure, right? Um, you guys were generating. It felt like Dak was under constant duress this yeah. entire game, which a lot of times Dak looks pretty comfortable under pressure, right? He'll step up in the pocket. He'll take off for a big first down. He did that on a, what was it? Like a fourth and four in the first a couple half, of plays. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. That he did that for, but you know, you'll, you'll live with that ultimately because you know, your defense is going to step up when it needs to in the red zone. And, and they did a good job of that. Um, you know, the interesting thing, man, like Brock Purdy, 19 of 29, 214 yards, uh, zero touchdowns, zero picks. His QBR was 53.1, and he had an 87.5 QB reading, which 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 isn't terrible. Um, it's pretty run of, run of the mill for both of those things, and that's ultimately like with the defense that you have against this team, that's about all that you needed. To me, the biggest shocker in this game was the coaching mistakes. And I'm not just talking about like the play call. Like I, I agree that with you. Timeout. Yeah, uh, we we texted about this uh, last night in the group chat, Scotty. You know, I, I thought the play calling. I thought they were, you know, they were setting him up for failure on third downs, um, and on first and second down. Like I just felt like it was really inconsistent. I felt like they weren't able to get Brock into any sort of comfortable rhythm, and part of that has to do with Dallas having one of the best pass rushes in the NFL. Um, but still, there were open guys he was missing. There was that one play where, you know, George Kittle's wide open with nobody within 20 yards of him, and he just doesn't see it, right? Because um, he's scrambling on the other side of the field. Yeah, and, and again, that was, you know, not entirely on Brock. Um, yeah. But that was one of those reads where if he sees that pre-snap, he sees the the, the pressure coming before that's, the snap. He knows that's where his safety route is because they're sending people from that side, and that and that's the other being a huge play. That's the other thing I said too, and this is this is purely, I think, just the experience level for having played in what well, this is was his eighth game or seventh game. That sort of stuff at the line of scrimmage in games like this could have meant a, a world of difference, right? Because seeing that 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 play on, and I think that was a third down as well. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it was a second down play, uh, but 
seeing that play and, and going from a, a second and seven to where you could pick up a first down and now taking a sack and going to, to third and 14, like that's the sort of stuff that, that changes these sorts of ball games. So, um, and, and again, I think that's an, an experience thing for Brock. Yeah. Um, it's a dude and, making and maybe, his seventh career start. Yeah, like I, exactly. I don't, I don't expect him to be able to see that right off the bat, but again, but that's also, I think what might hold this team back in a big playoff game. Um, you know, the muffed punt by Ray Ray McLeod, like that was mm-hmm. huge. And the defense bailed him out and they held him to a field it's- goal. But like Vita just mentioned there a second ago, like the the, the timeout usage, uh, Eli Mitchell not not staying in bounds after picking up the first down or even staying short of the first, because that was a first down running play, right? And yeah, he picks up the first down, that's huge. But if he finds a way to stay in bounds, right, or to stop and run out of bounds backwards, go down. right, yeah. to just do something to keep the clock moving, that game's over and Dallas doesn't even get a chance to go out and run that weird-ass fucking play that they ran uh, the last what play of the that? game, which was super... <laughs> I- I loved it. Can I just say that? Why? I really? loved the because the I I love the idea. I should say, but I well, love yeah, thank you <laughs> the fact that they were just trying to get as many skill players in in the position. If you slow minute, that down, they throw the slant on the left. It was supposed to be a pitch back. They had two linemen on each side, and then they they were going to throw it back and forth. And you had Zeke as your guy back instead. Of, you know to to like manage in between. But the- I like the design of this whole play. It was fucking hilarious seeing Zach like Zeke get absolutely drilled off the Demolished. line. Well, that so, was so. How are, so how are you going to line up Zeke? You're the one of the highest paid players on your team. How are you going to line him up at center for the well, last play of the game? For his last play in that uniform. That's that's what I was going to say, Vito. It's like yeah, the play design was great, except for when you had a running back playing center. I've never have you ever seen I've never seen a play in the NFL where somebody other than a, a center or long snapper snapped the ball. I don't think I've I can't say I've ever seen I, that you know, with the guard once where they did an offset on purpose, but that's about all I can think of. And honestly, if you're blaming anybody, probably blame Dak because they had more guys lined up on the right side. So, I, yeah, it, it was get so it off weird quicker and get it to the guy further back. It I don't was know so why weird. Like, it was the yeah. weirdest and play I've ever had a steam. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but that, that was, there was so weird. But there was some coaching stuff there. I thought the management of the timeouts, I thought the screen call, the screen pass call at the end there, there was miscommunication on that play, right? Uh, Debo didn't realize he was the wide he was the one supposed to catch the ball, and that ends up being an incompletion that kills the clock. Whereas if yeah. it, it, I don't disagree with the play call, but there's a somewhere there's a miscommunication, maybe from the headset to Brock. Brock misrelayed it to it, the, you know, relayed it, it incorrectly to um, the rest of the team, but Debo didn't, wasn't expecting the ball and credit to him for at least trying to jump back and maybe make a play on it. But if they just run the ball there, right. And settle for the field goal that milks out another 40 seconds off the clock and brings it down to almost a two minute warning, which makes it even more difficult for Dallas to have even remote shot at getting it. Now, again, the defense comes out and bails them out, but that's why, I felt more confident about the Eagles going into this weekend because those little coaching mistakes is stuff that Kyle Shanahan has had a tendency to make in the playoffs, despite the, you know, the experience going to Super Bowl, being in multiple AFC championship or NFC championship games. He has a tendency to make those mistakes in the postseason. And you can get away with that against a team like Dallas, who gave you opportunities back, who Dak threw two interceptions. But against a team like Philly, who does a really good job of protecting the football, knock on wood, um, 
you're not going to get a chance, right? Like they're, they're not going to bail Jaylen you out doesn't, of mistakes. Jalen doesn't give you those chances. No. And it's going to be all on the defense. And then then it becomes like, how much emphasis are we going to put? You want to win this game 13 to nine again? Uh, like that's not going to happen against the Eagles. Like that, that would have to be one of the craziest games I've ever seen. Uh, if no. that were the case, but I mean, the Niners I, are, if the Niners put up 19 points against Philly next week, I don't think they win the game. No. And the whole thing with going in was like, you know, we've scored 35 points in four straight games, 35 or more points in four straight games. Yeah. Uh, Every game I other knew, like, than the game, uh, the game against Seattle, they were Seattle, over 30 points. in Seattle in the regular season. Yeah. Um, so, man, the one thing I will say about the offense uh, and the offensive scheme um, as well uh, on a positive note is they did a really good job of neutralizing, not eliminating, but neutralizing Micah Parsons. Because Dex, I, I mean, uh, uh, Demarcus Lawrence had a big, big game, like a big game. That yeah. defensive line came up huge many, many times. Uh, and often that was the case because Micah was playing Mike linebacker most of the game and neutralized yeah. the running game for the for the. Uh, the Niners running game. And then when he lined up on defensive end, it was like, fine, we'll play in between the numbers. IU 15 yard slant, Debo 15 yard slant, beat the blitz McCaffrey up the middle. And, yeah. and that's when it started to flip a little bit. Um, and, and so, it, and some of the option stuff they did was great too, but I, that's all like lessons learned from what we've seen. And, and Philly did this first and perhaps best uh, this season was neutralizing Micah Parsons yeah, and making that defense make plays uh, in other uh, levels. Well, and Vito, I don't know how you felt about this, but I know me personally, like we went into this game, all three of us pretty much in agreement. Like we thought they were going to have Micah pin his ears back and just go straight at, at Brock Purdy the whole time, try to make him uncomfortable. And I thought it was really smart. Hey, you have this elite athlete that can play a million positions. Let's move him around the field. Let's have him go man-to-man -man with Christian McCaffrey, which he did multiple times. They moved him around a lot more than I thought they would. I was thinking they would have to um, just because of the fact – and sorry, we have an audio change here on my side, but working through uh, whatever we can to make sure we're still on. But uh, I, what I thought was the, the amount of athletes that the 49ers have requires you to do this, right? You have to put your best athlete in coverage because – you really don't have other options when you're talking about McCaffrey and Debo. Like he's, they're both insane matchups for a lot of that defense. So I thought they would do it a little bit. <laughs> I didn't think they would do it this much. And I had, I thought he was going to be more useful in that pass rush. And they obviously thought not. Um, it was definitely, I was, it was cool to see. I think it was just in, a, in just a football fan's perspective, right? Take the game out of it, everything. It's just wild to see a guy who can play so many positions and be like insanely great and make insanely great plays like to not play middle linebacker and then to go to play middle linebacker and be flying sideline to sideline, just knowing like exactly when to cut up as you're seeing all these linemen and big bodies being pushed. It was so impressive just to see. And man, that guy is just, I mean, we, we've known it since last year, but he's confirmed it this year. He's just one of the best in the NFL um, in terms of just an athlete and a football player. Then on the flip side, you know, again, those 49ers create those matchup problems. I don't know. on, And, and I know we'll still do a full preview, but I just I can't wait to start talking about these two teams because I think the NFC matchup is going to be. Um, it, I think it'll create unique situations that we'll see exploit. We're on the AFC. I think it's just going to be a 
kind of a wild shootout. Chaos. So we'll yeah. <laughs> well, that's what Jeff and I, Jeff and I were talking BTS, like behind the scenes in the in the pregame. I think it was on uh on it was either Friday's pod or, or last Monday or Tuesday's pod, Jeff. We were talking like um like eleven on eleven. These are some of the the best matchups in the NFL, like yeah. in terms of of talent level, in terms of skill set, uh, because we were like, uh, well, who who's better than the running game? Like, are we counting Jalen Hurts as a running back? Are we counting Christian McCaffrey as a wide receiver and Debo as a running back in some cases? So, like, yeah, we'll get we'll get all into that on uh, and get it all over ourselves on Friday's podcast. But yeah, man, that that's that to me is a uh, one of the more exciting parts about this is that it's their best and our best. And those are two of the best in the NFL. I think when you're just looking at total rosters, I think it's the two best rosters in football may not be, you know, it may not be the two best quarterbacks. I think that's, what's interesting is I think in the AFC side, you have the two best quarterbacks and on the NFC side, you have one of the top five to six quarterbacks in Jalen. Um, but the two best complete rosters on both sides, I think you're talking about the two best defensive lines in the NFL. You know, that's one of the notes I had about Philly. I think the Eagles have the number one offensive line, the number one defensive line. It's hard to say not. I mean, they had 60 sacks just from defensive linemen this year alone. Uh, in the regular season, you can add five more on from this weekend. I mean, 75 sacks the Eagles have had so far in 18 games. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. Um, and then you look on the same thing with, with San Francisco. Right? I mean, you have Nick Bosa, the defensive player of the year. Right. And Hassan Reddick is, is right up there with him, who could also, you know, mm-hmm. could be in contention for defensive player of the year. Uh, it, it's a crazy matchup. It's really, really awesome. Um, and that's why, again, I feel like you look at the team like my early lean is to go with Philly because the Eagles don't make a whole lot of mistakes. San Francisco has shown the first round against Seattle, made some mistakes in the first half. They were a much better team. They outclassed them in the second half. They won that game comfortable, right? This game against Dallas, mistakes on both sides, and both teams did it. And if Dallas played a clean game here, if Dak doesn't turn the ball over, not even play super well. And that was what I saw Dan Orlovsky said this morning, too. It's like Dak didn't have to be great. Dak just had to be good to win this game, and he wasn't. And if Dak's just good, it's Eagles-Dallas because San Francisco made a few mistakes that they just can't make, and they're not going to be able to afford to make next week. But again, you look at the personnel – and you look at the rosters and you just go, holy shit, man. Like, this is going to be a knockdown drag out. I think it's going to be an epic, epic NFC championship game. Uh, and it's going to be in one of the craziest environments in all of sports, I'll say. Um, in recent memory, I mean, I, as, as Chris Long said, man, anybody could have gotten it that night against Minnesota. Anybody in the league could have gotten it that night. And I, I, I'm very curious to see what the links like, especially because it's an afternoon game. The NFL kind of screwed us on that. I was really hoping we would get the night game, but instead now it's a, it's a three o'clock game. It'll still be dark by like the second half. The lights will be on Philly will be as drunk. You know, they just got to wake up a little bit earlier on Sunday to drink and that'll, that'll be fine. Um, oh yeah. Like that's a problem. Exactly. For Philadelphia. Exactly. <laughs> but I think it's, I think it's going to be really fun. I mean, ultimately look, I, San Francisco was the better team um, and Kyle Shanahan, the way he's been able to elevate Brock Purdy again, to just playing competently because there's so much talent here. Um, but that is a big thing. Like when I mentioned there right before the break, Christian McCaffrey a little banged up, Elijah Mitchell a little bit banged up. If Christian McCaffrey misses 10 more snaps than he normally would, that is 10 wins 
for the Philadelphia Eagles because it makes that that multiple you know lineup kind of offense that they run when that twenty one personnel it makes it less effective. And Dallas had that there was multiple times, especially to ice out the game. They made the smart move and say, "Hey, Elijah Mitchell, go out there. You're going to ice the game for us when we're running the ball here." But your best player, arguably, is on the sideline. And yeah. I mean, they were only putting McCaffrey in on third downs, and usually it was lined out as a as a receiver. Yeah. So again, any any extra snaps that the Eagles can have without McCaffrey out there, I mean, that's a win. And you can say the same thing on Philly's side, right? If AJ Brown, if his hip thing ends up being kind of nagging and he's not totally one hundred percent. Any snap A.J. Brown's not on the field is a win for the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, and, and I think that game – I honestly – I think that's the better game. I, mean, I think they're both going to be really good games, but I do think that's the better of the two games. So uh, we'll see here. Um, any other final thoughts here, Scotty, on your boys, Vito, on the Niners? Anything else you want to add? I think Vito started playing a game of COD halfway through the podcast. No, I streamed you guys up here, but it seems to be cutting in and out. I kind of like it. Oh, all right. All right. <laughs> I like that. I was like, man, is he just is he just pull out the Xbox controller well, so and is like playing Madden while we're no, you guys are here, but you're here, so I gotta look here. anyway. It's it's, just, uh, it's you casted it's... us to the TV. I like it. Mm-hmm. I like it. All right, that makes me feel better. I was like, man, man, was this conversation that boring? I had to pull the <laughs> sticks out for a second. Nah, it's good. And it was hey, look, it was a great weekend. Great. And and I again I, I go back to what I said at the beginning of the pod. I think this was the weekend of validation. Right. It was every everything that we thought from the year to really nitpicky small things to bigger picture stuff ultimately came true. Um, and of course, I'm taking my victory lap. Joe Burrow over Justin Herbert. Not even competition. Not even close. It's, it's not even close. <laughs> it's hard. It's it sucks because like Herbert's amazing and I do love Herbert. Great but at talent. this point, man, back to back AFC championship MVP. games. Yeah. Like and yeah, Herbert's Herbert hasn't won a playoff game yet. You got to give got to give credit where it's due to, to our man Joey B. But we love both of those guys, and we love you guys mm-hmm. for listening. Thank you guys for joining us as always. We'll be back on Friday. We'll have a full breakdown. Uh, prepare for tons of nerdy stats. Prepare for me and Scotty to be more contentious. I think today was pretty good. I think we did good today, Scotty. I think uh, I think as we get closer to the game, it's gonna it's gonna start spiking up and. We're doing a um, an escape room together this weekend on Saturday night. Wow! Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I think uh, I think my girlfriend and uh, and Sung Scott's wife and my sister and all their friends who are coming down. I think they're just gonna lock me and Scotty in the room. I think I think it's gonna get contentious mm-hmm. to that point. They're like, "Hey, we're all gonna escape. You two stay in there and beat the shit out of each other." But we'll see. Um, <laughs> Win or loss. I'm going to need a gummy on Sunday. (laughs) Yeah, it's good. The blood pressure, get the blood pressure medication out uh, and maybe maybe go easy on the on the beer. Yeah, maybe maybe do the gummies instead. But uh, we got lots to look forward to. Thank you all for listening. We love you guys. We'll be back on Friday. Full breakdown conference championship weekend coming up. We'll talk to you guys then. And as always, take it easy, everybody.